All right, let's take some time to study God's word before we pray again. Because I believe that this passage is not only going to help us pray, but it's going to change the way we pray. So uh, grab your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You know, each time uh, any of us walks into the church, or each time any of us walks into the church service, um, we enter in with some level of bias. Based on how you grew up, based on where you grew up, uh, based on whether you attended a church or uh, what kind of church it was, what denomination it was, um, what the music was like, what the pastor was like, um, how old you are, all of that stuff influences our opinion and our expectation of church. For instance, if you grew up Catholic, um, you either favor liturgy, you either gravitate toward that and kind of a, a more formal type of worship, or you don't like that and you want something completely different. But that experience of how you grew up shapes your thinking. If you grow up Baptist, whether you're Southern Baptist, Northern Baptist, General Association of Baptists, regular Baptist, I don't know, there are like 25 Baptists, right? You're just Baptist, right? If, if you grew up that way, um, you, are, you are influenced by that. That background impacts how you think church should be, uh, how you think the pastor should be, how personal he should be, what kind of the music should be like, what kind of fellowship. It should be Sunday school because you grew up Baptist, and Baptists love Sunday school. If you grew up Pentecostal or Assemblies of God, you likely want the music to be more dynamic than it is, and, and you um, want there to be energy and, and times of uh, at the altar and an emphasis on prayer and the movement of the Holy Spirit and, and so on and so on, right? The, how we grew up influences us. And music tends to be the great polarization, doesn't it, for any church and any attender, and no one ever really seems to be satisfied with it. It's too boring, it's not quality enough, it's too polished, it's too loud, it's too meditative, it's too showy, doesn't have enough hymns, has too many hymns, it's too dark, needs drums, doesn't need drums. Any of those sound familiar? I'm not going to ask if you've ever said any of them because I have. Preaching has the same effect. It's largely determined by who you grew up or who you admire listening to, who's impacted you. So our expectations and what we like can, can actually become real narrowly defined by how those people taught the word and what their teaching style was and how they dressed and how long they spoke and what version of the Bible they used and maybe whether or not they used notes. All those kinds of things. Those, those preferences aren't inherently wrong. But if they become a problem for us, it's because we go into a church with an expectation, and if it's not met, we get discouraged. And that becomes a problem for churches in the sense that because we're consumer-driven, now churches are designing their ministry in order to appeal to a certain demographic or a certain group that likes a certain style. Now, because both of those issues are a problem because they can cause us to miss out on something the Lord has that is far better for us. And unfortunately, one of the problems in uh, especially the American church is that it is a very strong prevailing trend, and we've talked about this many times, but, but just allow me to talk about it for a couple minutes tonight, in, in programming church ministry. 
many times literally down to the second. And the desire is to control the narrative and to create a certain atmosphere that will supposedly draw people in and keep them there. Now, the bulk of books and the bulk of conferences that are being held right now within Christianity advance that theory. And there's a lot of pressure within Christianity to to do this, and if you aren't doing this, you're out of touch and you're ineffective. And churches are being taught that, that if you uh, don't follow that specific model of ministry, that you especially will never reach the younger generations because the younger generation is consumer-driven. They crave technology. They crave getting stuff. And the only way to appeal to them is to go after their interests in order to grow church attendance. Now, here's the problem with that. It's never found once in the Bible. Not one time, not one verse, never does the Holy Spirit teach that or condone that for even a second. In fact, it's just the opposite. We see example after example after example of believers praying and believers yielding to the Lord, sometimes, most times, without a clue what they're going to say, what they're going to do, how they're going to get through it, but confident that if they will rely on the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit, that God will completely use them and God will effectively use them. And when we see the contrast between what's in the Bible and, and the church in Acts versus the church in 2018, it's hard to make a case that the methods of today work better than what happened back then. Even though churches are bigger, it's hard for us to argue that Christians now are more spirit-filled, more sanctified, more zealous, more bold, more effective than the Christians in Acts. If anything, we're more self-oriented, shallow, passive, and making an impact on the world that is less as the world continues to decline morally. Now, I say that not because we're here tonight to bash the church or not because we're superior or think we know better. It's to show, as I said a couple minutes ago, that there is something far more wonderful that God wants us to experience that's way beyond our plans and way beyond our biases. And it's right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, Paul is writing to a church that had become very, very self-oriented. And their self-orientation wasn't even under the auspices of trying to reach people for Christ. Corinth was relying almost completely on their own wisdom, put that in quotes, and their own cleverness, thinking that somehow if they did that, because that was uh, typical of the culture that they lived in, that somehow that would give them greater power and greater authority and greater advantage. But all it was doing was making them more carnal and diminishing any witness that they might have had. Now, as we've heard before and said before, you cannot be clever and have Jesus be wonderful at the same time. How many know that's true, right? You, you, you can't work in your own wisdom, and elevate Jesus. So this is what Paul writes to Corinth early in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now, Paul's message here pretty much contradicts what we have been told is the most effective way to shape ministry. And to paraphrase, look back at verse 1. He says, when I came to you, I didn't come with amazing preaching. I didn't come with wisdom that would blow you away as I taught you the gospel and God's word. Now, think about that just for a second, because there's no question that Paul could have. Paul was unbelievably intelligent. He had an advanced education. He had experience. He was a logician, so he could speak with logic and with clarity and argue anybody under the carpet. He he knew what he was talking about. He was persuasive. We know in the books that he writes that he's a very persuasive, influential person who could have come into Corinth and just impressed them like crazy. Because he covered it all. He was a Roman citizen. He was a Jew. He was a person who studied under Gamaliel. He had been a Pharisee. He now had the Holy Spirit. God had given him revelation into the word of God. So so this guy had it absolutely all. And if anybody could have come in and said, look... I know what I'm talking about, and I am going to leverage that. I'm going to, I'm going to show you in this culture that prides knowledge. I'm going to show you how much I know. If it was anybody, it was Paul. Greatest evangelist probably who's ever lived. Certainly the greatest apologist who's ever lived. But look at his one goal. One goal in verse 2. I determined that the only thing I wanted to do was to teach you and point you to Jesus Christ. It's the only goal. I didn't come in to impress you, didn't come in to argue with you. I only wanted you to see Jesus in everything I did and everything I said. I didn't want to distract you. I didn't want you to look at anything else, especially me. Why? Because he's the one who's crucified. He's the one who saves you. Now what a goal, right? should be the goal of every believer's life. should be the goal of every church. So look at what Paul determined was the way to do this. Let's just go verse by verse. Verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, okay? First of all, he says, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Now, that's what everybody looks for in a pastor, right? Weak, fearful, and shaky. Try, try going to a church and say, what, what are you looking for? Glad you came to our church today. What are you looking for? I am hoping that the pastor will be weak, fearful, and shaky. They don't teach that at the big conferences. Would you, would you choose a church like that? But Paul's mindset, look at the verse. It echoes what the Bible tells us about teaching the word of God, that we should be humbled. We should be careful We should make sure when we teach the word that we're not reckless, but that we're rightly dividing the word of truth. Why? Because it's God's holy word. And because the Bible says that those who teach the word, and this applies to me tonight, are doubly accountable to the Lord for how they handle it. So I can't come in tonight recklessly just kind of playing with the verses and telling what I think. I have to study to show myself approved so I can teach and and hopefully divide the word correctly. Now that's sobering. 
It's sobering for anybody who teaches the Bible, but it sets an essential standard for us that we need to respect the Word of God, and we need to make sure that as we communicate it, that we are praying and preparing and being led by the Spirit to do that. Because I don't know about you, but when I teach the Word, I'm humbled by it. I have no idea why God allowed me to do this. And I don't say that with false humility. I say that because I look at it and I go, who am I to handle this? So Paul says, when I came to you, I, was, I wasn't coming in with persuasive words. I was coming in fearfully that I would offend the Lord in any way. Then he says in verse 4, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. Again, if there's anybody that was qualified to do that, it was Paul which is why he had to be so very intentional not to do that. The smarter we are, the more capable we are, the more we have the gift in anything, preaching, singing, prayer, ministering, uh, whatever the case may be. What, whatever our gift is, we have to be careful that, that we don't take pride in that to the sense where it blocks what we're trying to do. And this is something that every preacher and teacher has to fight because somehow we have some kind of an ability with words, but if we aren't careful spiritually and personally, that ability can quickly become a source of pride. And then as it becomes a source of pride, we start to strategize. How can I better communicate? How can I be more relevant? How can I be more edgy? What can I do that will be more persuasive and more convincing? And I'm telling you, this, this subtle temptation has now become overtly utilized within ministry. The last 10 to 15 years, this has exploded, and I believe it's not only having a detrimental effect on true evangelism and on spiritual growth, but I honestly believe it is setting the American church up for a downfall. Because we are on the path, look at verse 5, we're on the path of people's faith resting on our wisdom, which is an oxymoron, instead of on the power of God. And the Bible says, the wisdom of man is what? Tell me, foolishness to God. So how can we argue that our ways and our cleverness and our means of calculated persuasion are better than what Paul writes next? Look at verse 4 at the end. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in what? The demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now this is the ideal. This is what we're praying for, we just prayed for as a church, that, that God would demonstrate his spirit and he demonstrate his power. How many of us need a fresh demonstration of the spirit in our lives tonight? I don't know about you, but I absolutely do. There's no greater need that a believer has than a fresh demonstration of the spirit's power. There is no substitution for it. And even Paul, who was brilliant, and spirit-filled, and was specifically called to, to, to be a powerful influence for Christ, even Paul knew that if the Spirit is not in control, if the Spirit is not pouring out His power, it will all be ineffective. And that he will fall into the trap of pride and his own efforts at power. So he made sure that his heart was right. You see that all through these five verses, he made sure he's living by the Spirit. And then I believe his words indicate here that he was continually asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, express your power. 
express your presence. Express a fresh demonstration in clear and dynamic ways every single day. And listen, that should be the norm, right? That every day, Paul Rhodes, as I wake up, that the Spirit would evidence his control in my life. That the Spirit would evidence his authority in my life. That the Spirit would evidence his power in my life. So I am spiritually strong. So I'm utilized by him in unique ways. So here's the question before we draw the conclusion. Are we asking him to do that? Are we waking up every day and saying, Lord, I need a demonstration of your spirit and of power in my life today. Lord, will you, will you pour out your power and your strength on me? Will, will you pour out your spirit so that I'm overflowing? Lord, I want to be emptied of self and filled with you. So, so if that's going to happen, I need to be humble and dependent on you so you can pour out your spirit. Not only are you going to meet my needs and my prayers, but you're going to go beyond and you're going to do a magnificent work that demonstrates who you are. Now, where do we need that? Let's write some things down. If you have a pen and paper, I want you to write a couple things down real quick. What are some of the ways that we need the Lord to meet us in that way? Because in a second, we're going to pray, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to pour out his power on us. So I want to suggest some ways to you tonight, and I'll be very brief. Some areas in our lives in which we need a fresh demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. Okay, number one, we need to ask him to empower us with wisdom. We need to ask him to empower us with wisdom, that he would give us a deeper understanding. When we come to his word, that we would understand his word, that we would have a new insight into his teaching and into his will. So we, you know, the Bible says you need to ask for wisdom, right? If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask the Lord who gives generously and liberally as long as the person prays by faith, nothing wavering. So you and I need to pray for wisdom. I need to pray for wisdom every single day. How do I love my wife? How do I parent my kids? How do I reach out to people for Christ? How do I disciple people? How do I minister to people? How do I walk worthy of you, Lord? All these things, how do I do that, Lord? We need wisdom. We especially need that because the enemy's pushing relativism and he's pushing spiritual confusion. So we need daily discernment from the Lord. We need to ask for a fresh expression of God's power in wisdom. Second, we need to ask him to empower us with maturity. Maturity. How do we grow? How do we advance? I need every day a new desire, a new motivation, a strength to study and read and learn from the Word of God. Because when we study, He will strengthen us. You ever had a time when you're away from the Word for three or four days, you just got busy and you didn't study, and then you come back to the Word and you open up and you start to study and the thoughts just pour out. And you go, why haven't I been doing this? This is like a fountain that just washes over me and I've gotten dry and parched because I haven't been in the Word. When we get in the Word, God encourages us and He gives us courage uh, uh, to walk in holiness and, and to live by biblical conviction. So we need to ask Him to empower us maturity. Third, we need to ask Him to empower us with a daily attitude of victory. 
So many believers are living without victory. They're living in pain and heartache and discouragement and just no joy, no peace, no comfort. But the Bible says you and I are overcomers through Christ. We just celebrated at Sunday the victory of Jesus. And now we're going to walk after the resurrection. We're going to walk around with our heads down going, I don't know, I just can't get, I can't get past it. So we need to ask the Lord, if that's not happening, Lord, I need you to give me confidence to live in the power of your resurrection, even when I'm in the fellowship of your sufferings. I need to be living in joy and in peace and in confidence and in victory because you told us we're victorious. And the closer I get to Christ, the more I experience that victory. So wisdom, maturity, victory. Fourth, we need to ask him to empower us with boldness. That as we walk in wisdom and as we mature in our faith, that we would stand firm for our faith. And here's where it gets difficult, that we would influence people for Christ through our words and our actions. Now, we need his power. Why? Because the opposition is strong. And because culture is increasingly closing itself off about Christ. So we need the Holy Spirit to give us boldness. The boldness of the disciples in Acts chapter 4. Holy Spirit, give us boldness as a church. Give us boldness as believers. I need boldness. As a pastor, say 42 years, I need boldness to talk to people about Jesus when the opportunity is there. Number five, we need to ask him to empower us in our biggest problem. Whatever it is tonight, we talked about it at the very outset of our singing What's your burden tonight? What do you need to bring to the Lord? Maybe you've already done it. We did that earlier. What, what do you need to place before him? Now, maybe you placed it before him 30 minutes ago, and now you're worried about it again. But, but we need the Lord to meet us at that point of need and to give us peace that he will work. And we don't know the resolution yet. Maybe you're scared. Maybe you're anxious. So, so we need the Lord to take away our fear. And how do we get our fear cast out? We get our fear cast out by going to his perfect love, right? Perfect love casts out all fear. So the closer we get to the Lord, because these all work together, the closer we get to the Lord, the more that fear is relieved. If we're away from the Lord, guess what? Fear is going to encapsulate our hearts and minds. If you're living in fear... You can tell yourself, I am not in the presence of the Lord because when I'm in the presence of the Lord, I'm in perfect love and perfect love casts out fear. Number six, we need to ask him to empower and anoint us and work in our midst as a church. We need to ask him to empower and anoint us and work in our midst as a church. We saw a number of new people here on Sunday. And as we prayed earlier, we need them to come back. Not because we want to grow a big church. Not because we want to point and say, look at how many people are there on a Sunday. But because the fields are white and the harvest is ready. And we have to continue to reach out and minister to this community and beyond. So we need wisdom. How do we do that? We need strength that we'd have the courage and confidence to do that. We need a commitment, not just from a group of 10 or 20 or 30. We need a commitment from every single believer in this church to fulfill the Great Commission. And if they're not here to pray tonight, then we need to pray with them and for them that God will give us courage 
and, and strength and empower us as a church to do this work. All right, last one. As an act of dependence, we need to ask him to empower us in ways that he chooses. That he would surprise us, that he would bless us in unique ways that we don't anticipate, that we're not asking for, just as a gift of his mercy, just, just so our love for him would go so much to the next level, like, Lord, why did you do that? That's, that's such a blessing beyond what I ever would have expected. I wasn't even praying for it. The Lord, I think, loves to answer prayers that we haven't even prayed. Because we don't even have the faith to pray for that. Oh, I'm just trying to get through the day, Lord. Here's my problems. And just please answer this one problem. And the Lord says, I have so much more for you. There's so many more. It's like, it's like poor analogy. I'm going to say it anyway. It's like when you give the gifts to your kids on Christmas, but you got that one special gift that you're hiding that, that you get to the end. They're like, well, thank you. That was awesome. That was, that was really good. Thank, thank you. And then you go, hold on. I see one more thing back there. What happens? The kids fail. Are you kidding? Like, that's what the Lord wants to do. The Lord has gifts that, that are so far beyond what we could comprehend. And, and if we just live in the Lord, just give me my daily bread, just get me through the day, he's just waiting. I want to pour this out on you. I, I, I have so much more for you. Are we asking for it? So let's ask him, Lord, do a fresh work that just puts us in awe. Just whatever you want to do, we just, we ask for your mercy.